In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. This is one of those problems that can pull you in impossible directions. First, you have Canada's electrical grids all across the country that need to supply more power than ever before. You may have heard that Canada is growing quickly, and as we add Canadians, we need to add capacity. Second, that new power cannot be generated by fossil fuels anymore. Not only are we all aware by now that this is a bad idea, given the climate crisis, the federal government has already planned on clean energy targets that require it. And finally, while the federal government gets to set those targets, it doesn't actually oversee the electrical grids in each province or how those grids are powered. Which means that the solution needs to work in each of Canada's provinces and territories, and luckily, they're all very similar and usually always agree on the best way to achieve a goal, right? That's the problem. Oh, and also, longer and stronger heat waves are creating new highs of peak power demand, so all of this has to happen quickly, or we'll be at risk of brownouts. So, how do you prepare Canada's electrical grids for today and for the future? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Adam Rudwanski is a climate change columnist and a feature writer for The Globe and Mail. Hi, Adam. Hi. I wanted to start by simply asking you about the federal government's clean electricity regulations. What will they do and when and, and why were they introduced? What they will do is place restrictions on emitting, greenhouse gas emitting electricity, starting only in 2035. Uh, they are basically meant to ensure something close to net zero emissions electricity grids in each province starting that year, uh, which granted seems a long time away, except that in, in terms of electricity policy, it's really not. So the idea is to shape electricity investment decisions uh, in each province and territory uh, between now and then. So that come 2035, we have essentially a clean national grid. What do our grids look like at the moment in terms of where we get our electricity from? I know it varies by province, but maybe you could just give us an overview. Sure. Our grids really do vary wildly by province. In fact, if you kind of looked at a, like an overhead map of the country, you'd almost see alternating things. Because in a bunch of provinces, BC, Manitoba, Quebec, Newfoundland, Labrador, they're quite heavy on hydroelectricity, which is... Uh, very clean and and a great source of power. And then they have a few things complementing that, but mostly hydroelectricity. In other provinces, particularly Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, uh, to some extent New Brunswick, they've been much more reliant on fossil fuels, traditionally coal, uh, now more natural gas. 
you're starting to see renewables coming in, but not uh, as much as, as the federal government certainly would like. Uh, and then Ontario's kind of in the middle. It's It's got a big nuclear uh, electricity baseload, uh, some hydro, uh, some natural gas, some renewables. So it's a mix. It really does vary. But you've got, as I said, some provinces that are very low emitting power, largely because of hydroelectricity, and some provinces that are very fossil fuel reliant. And what is the reaction in general uh, to these regulations being? I know it'll vary just like the grids from province to province, but I want to get a sense of how on board um, Canada is with committing to this. So in a lot of provinces, the reaction has been fairly muted so far. And that, unsurprisingly, would, would be especially the provinces where the grids are already relatively clean to begin with. The provinces where you've heard the loudest outcry from, which may be unsurprising to people who follow Canadian politics in general, are Alberta and Saskatchewan. Ontario is an interesting one because it has not, its government has not been particularly vocal publicly in opposing it, but it is pursuing natural gas investment right now, um, which is quite at odds with the federal strategy. So there you've got stuff happening where they're kind of on a collision course, but it's not as public. And then the public opposition is largely coming from Saskatchewan and Alberta. What has the public opposition been like? Are they threatening legal challenges? What case might they have? Like, I'm trying to get a sense of how this fight could play out. Yeah, so there seemed to be an implication by Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe that there will be a legal challenge. He didn't put it in so many words, but he essentially said the province was going to be trying to block this, and that would seemingly point to a legal challenge. Presumably, they would be, it would you know, go forward, you would think, after the regulations have actually been published, which they have not yet been. Uh, we're expecting the draft regulations uh, this summer. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a constitutional expert, so I don't want to say what their odds would be. Sure. Um, it would be somewhat comparable to the challenge that some provinces launched against the federal carbon pricing system. Right. And it's quite similar in that regard because the federal government is doing this under the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is an area where the federal government does have jurisdiction. It doesn't have jurisdiction to set electricity policy. That's a provincial area. But it can set essentially environmental protections. So there would be a challenge as to whether this is within the federal government's purview or not. Leaving aside the type of electricity for now, um, we're going to go through that sort of a little later and, and talk about the different ways we can generate it. What kind of shape are our grids in, in terms of providing the power Canadians need? And what do we know about if they're built uh, up enough for what they'll need in the future? So Canada starts from a pretty good place in terms of electricity supply. I mean, again, it varies by province, but in general, our grid is quite clean and quite reliable. And that's actually a competitive advantage right now uh, as we're competing for investment, say manufacturers who are increasingly concerned with uh, having not just a reliable supply of electricity, but a, a non-emitting supply of electricity. So we start better than, for instance, the United States, which is much more so still trying to get off coal. It's been reasonably reliable, although there are some challenges, particularly actually due to climate change, as we wind up with more disruptions from extreme weather and so on. But we're in pretty decent shape. The challenge is that we're looking at electricity demand between now and 2050, by most projections, at least doubling, maybe tripling. Wow. And that's because we're looking at electrifying so many things. That's the biggest path really to reducing emissions is getting into electric vehicles, getting rid of gas heating in homes and replacing it with, with electric heating, electrifying industry. So demand's going to go way up. We're not really building to that yet. I don't think any province, even the ones that are relatively rich in power right now, have made the investments they'll need to in order to provide that supply, let alone to provide it in a clean way, not in a way that, that creates further emissions that undermine the climate goals that the electrification is pursuing. What do we know about what 
electricity operators, the people who actually have to deal with the day-to-day issues, think of these regulations? Do they even care where the power comes from as long as it shows up? There's really a range of electricity operators in Canada. I mean, in, in some provinces, it's the Crown Corporation that runs the entire thing. In some, it's a mix of public and private. In some, Alberta notably, it's a really open market system. In general, the open market folks are more uh, responsive to change and less conservative. And so in a way, they may be better with it. Some of the really sort of monopolistic crown corporation systems, um, they're actually sometimes a little more conservative in their estimates. Hmm. So I think they may feel more challenged by this in terms of their planning. And of course, they would be more directly impacted because they have to worry about the entire grid composition as opposed to just you know, trying to, to essentially supply some power into the grid and not worry too much about what the total mix is. Let's talk about Alberta and Saskatchewan first, uh, because they're obviously facing the biggest challenges. What kind of options do those provinces have just in terms of their situation now, the makeup of their power now, and, and what's available to them? So one of the things that's important to understand about both Alberta and Saskatchewan is they're still getting off coal to a point, particularly Saskatchewan. Alberta's closer to being off it. Saskatchewan's still got a ways to go. In both cases, they've been counting on natural gas to get them off of coal. That's obviously not what the federal government wants, at least not unless that natural gas is accompanied by carbon capture technology. So one option is they can build natural gas with carbon capture technology or attach carbon capture technology to the existing natural gas infrastructure. So that's one way, carbon capture. Uh, Another way, obviously, is renewables, wind and solar particularly. I think we're going to see a lot of build out of those, uh, particularly because the cost of those forms of electricity has come way down uh, and keeps coming way down. And now the federal government is going to be subsidizing it uh, through some new tax credits and and so on. So I think we'll see quite a bit of renewables build out. So that's part of it, although there's always concerns about intermittency there and so on. Then we get into some somewhat more uncertain options. So one of them is that Saskatchewan in particular is looking at nuclear, uh, which right now is really not something you see outside of one or two provinces, mostly Ontario. That's contingent on the technology evolving. They want to use what are called small modular reactors, which is a new kind of smaller form of nuclear reactor that hasn't really been demonstrated yet. If that technology evolves, that will be part of the mix in Saskatchewan. The other thing that I think they're going to have to count on, but again is a bit unproven, is energy storage, long duration storage, by which I mean technology that can store electricity that's generated for not just hours like some technology now can, but for days, weeks, even months to make up for the intermittency of wind and solar. Right. Part of what they need is to rely on technology that hasn't yet been scaled up. Hmm. So that does introduce a degree of uncertainty into the full conversation. When you talk about building new capacity and technology that hasn't yet been scaled up, you said at the beginning, you know, 2035 sounds like a long way off, but it's not. What do you mean by that? How difficult is it to get infrastructure uh to lead into the grid and to be reliable, I guess. And like, we still got a dozen years here. We're not very quick at building things in this country generally. Yes. Uh, You know, that applies even to, maybe even especially to stuff like transmission lines. So you can build a lot of wind, solar, et cetera. You're going to need a lot more transmission lines and different types of transmission lines than you had previously and ideally going across large distances to make up for weather variation and things like that. So... That alone could take a while. Um, you know, permitting for generation facilities can take a while. And then when you talk about something like nuclear, I mean, that usually takes forever. 
you know, you're talking about probably 15, 20 years often to, to build it. So I think they're hoping that what I was referring to before, the small modular reactors, is something they might be able to build in Saskatchewan by about 2035, but it's not going to happen super quickly. So all of these things take a while. So, you know, you'll talk to people in this space who represent the industry or from the provinces, and they will talk a lot about a ticking clock. And, you know, 2035 is a long way away, but really it's not a long way away. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. What about Ontario? You know, you mentioned that uh, here, where I am, we don't actually get that much of our power from natural gas, but the province is looking for more. Why would they be doing that and what options do they have? Is that simply because we're the biggest province and need the most power? There's a couple of reasons why Ontario is looking at new natural gas. Um, one of them is that some of the nuclear power that it relies on, which is you know over half of, of, of the current supply mix, is going to be coming offline, in some cases temporarily, but this decade for refurbishment. So they need natural gas to make up uh, for some of that. The other reason, though, is to, to meet longer term demand. They, you know, they're, they're aware that they're going to have rapidly rising demand, uh, primarily due to electrification, also growing population. So... Ontario is going to need to add power. And one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways they want to do so is with natural gas. Uh, the other reason they're drawn to natural gas in general is that it is a power source that can be ramped up or, or, or turned down again. So that is particularly useful for times of peak demand. And it does, in terms of just the, the capacity, it does pair well with, with other forms of power, especially renewables where you are going to have some issues of intermittency where it may be stronger sometimes than others, gas does have the advantage that you can you can crank it up or turn it down as you wish. So for instance, in Ontario right now, natural gas only accounts for about 10% of all the electricity that's used in the province on an annual basis, but it's over 30% of the installed capacity, uh, which means that you can ramp it up a lot more than that. So that's what they kind of like about it. When you look at this timeline, uh, given what you've seen in the industry, and like I'm a lay person, but it seems like the advances are happening faster and are more impactful than ever. How do you even try to accurately predict what we'll know about generating clean energy 10 years from now? It's really hard to predict. And that's why I think it's important when you're looking at, at regulations, especially, and, and, and spending incentives, but especially regulations, that you have to make them fairly flexible because we don't know. And you're right. Technology is moving incredibly fast, and, and that's that's often a good news story because it's typically exceeded projections for how quickly it'll it'll evolve, both in terms of technological advances and in terms of costs coming down. That's particularly the case with renewables. So the hope is this actually gets easier than we think it'll be. At the same time, energy projects are not typically quick. There are efforts underway to improve that through regulatory reforms, through spending incentives. Um, just through a general sense of urgency. So it may get better, but we really don't know exactly what the timelines are like. And we don't know what exact forms will triumph, really. So I think you need to be cognizant of the fact that you're, you're not, you cannot predict exactly what the mix will be. And you can't be assured it'll be exactly where you need, where, where you want it to be. So 
you have to try and sort of get the right balance of a fairly strong regulation and this kind of thing that will achieve your broad goals without tying your hands in, in ways that, that restrict forms that may be helpful or that leave you with power shortages because you know you just didn't anticipate how long something would take or the timeline didn't go exactly as you expected. This is another plank um, in what Canada's building in terms of our commitment to net zero. As somebody who reports on this sector so often, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, that the legal challenges could be similar to the carbon tax. What can these regulations and the response to them tell us about the dynamic between the the two levels of government that's going to kind of, I guess, have to inform how well or quickly we make this transition? One of the takeaway from this around climate policy in general is that we do currently have a federal government that is more ambitious on climate policy than a lot of the provinces are. And is maybe, frankly, thinking ahead a little more to just the realities of a net zero economy globally and how we're going to compete in that. And not in all provinces. There are provinces that, like, like British Columbia and Quebec that are very forward thinking on these. There are other provincial governments that are less so. And that is a problem. That may change. I mean, we could be talking five years or three years or two years, and you've got provinces that happen to be more ambitious than a different federal government. Mm -hmm. But currently, you have this dynamic. And it's not great in this kind of situation, because something like electricity policy is primarily a provincial responsibility. So this would all be a lot easier if the provinces were thinking ahead a little more. That being said, I also think another thing that, that, that I'm recognizing this, and frankly, I think the federal government has been learning through the development of this regulation, is about not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. I mean, they they started this process in developing this regulation, I think, quite set on doing a full-on net zero electricity regulation for, for 2035. No natural gas at all then, which is kind of the main thing they're targeting, really, um, because coal is probably going to be offline anyway, but but no natural gas by then. And they've sort of bent a little bit from from what they've said and what I've gathered from speaking people to deal with them. Okay, we're going to have to grandfather some of the existing natural gas infrastructure. We're going to have to allow it at times of absolute peak, you know, in case of emergencies and so on, at least for a few years after 2035, because you don't want to wind up in a situation where you've got blackouts or unaffordable power or whatever else, or just incredibly difficult fights for the provinces. So there is a degree of putting water in their wine a little bit that I think is actually necessary because as the federal government tries to take a lead on these things, they can't be too dogmatic for striking that balance. I think that's, that's what you see on so many different policies. And, and, and we're going to see it even more so on another regulation they're working on, a new cap on oil and gas industry emissions. Hmm. And again, there's a balance there between taking leadership that, that, that is probably lacking in a couple of provinces and not going so far that it is uh, just an unmanageable fight or creates economic impacts or, or day-to-day life impacts beyond what the federal government even wants. So there are provinces opposed to these regulations, and that's the opposition to them. What's the government doing to get these guys on side? So the federal government is trying to take basically a carrot-and-stick approach to electricity policy. In the recent federal budget and a few months before that, they've announced some new incentives for clean electricity investment. There's new tax credits um, for both private sector and unusually um, refundable tax credits for um, public utilities, uh, Essentially, which is essentially a 15% subsidy for 
um, public utilities that invest in things like wind, solar, energy storage, large-scale nuclear and hydro, and then the 30% tax credit for, for um, private investment in those things. So the idea there is partly to kind of smooth things over. And there's a reason they did that before bringing the regulations. They, they're trying to, uh, to, to, to buy a bit of peace. Also, the idea is that the carrots and sticks will kind of work together, that what you're going to do is simultaneously make it more inviting to invest in non-emitting sources of power by making them essentially even cheaper than they already are in some cases. And then at the same time, making natural gas investments even more unappealing because it's going to have a strong risk of, of stranded assets come 2035 and, and you know, natural gas infrastructure usually lasts a lot longer than you know, 10 years or so. So the idea is that those things will work together and create economic incentive that is essentially irresistible to, um, to provincial uh, utilities, to the private sector and so on. Adam, thank you so much for explaining this. This is a tricky policy and uh, it's really interesting to dive in. My pleasure. Adam Redwanski writing in The Globe and Mail. That was the big story for more, including previous coverage of climate change, electrical grids, and all these complicated problems. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can always comment on an episode or suggest an episode or just talk to us in general by finding us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN or by sending an email to hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca or leaving a voicemail at 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks to all of our amazing guest hosts last week. And of course, Joseph Fish, our producer and now occasional host. We will talk tomorrow.